my name is Eric, and I welcome you to our Black Gay Diaspora podcast, where we, as LGBTQ plus citizens, come together to inspire and educate each other on who we are and our respective countries and professions. Through topics and guest interviews, our Black Gay Diaspora podcast celebrates individuals making a difference. Loving who we love is not a choice. Being who we're meant to be can be. We are here. You are welcome. We are community. Greetings and welcome to another episode of our Black Gay Diaspora podcast. I'm your host, Eric. I will be interviewing today Varel Okayo, who is the director of Kenneth and Jacob's House, an organization offering, quote, temporary transitional housing and care, safety and protection, psychosocial support, advocacy and social life skills for LGBTQ runaway and homeless youth in Kenya, end quote. Born in Pumwani, Ruel is a human rights defender and HIV champion and the U equals U ambassador in Kenya for the African Forum. U equal U stands for undetectable means untransmittable. He's also the creator and host of the podcast Sex Ed by Ruel Asians. And that's Sex Ed by Ruel Asians. Ruel, his name, and Dash Asians, A I T A T I O N S. Rel's making a difference, healing himself, and looking for ways to encourage others to do the same. I look forward to learning more about who he is and how he celebrates being a Black queer citizen. Hey, Rel, and welcome. How are you? Thank you so much for having me in the show today. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. We had a really great recording a couple of weeks ago, and there was some technical difficulties. So I'm incredibly grateful that you came back to share your story again. So thank you so much. You know, I always love to say this, that technology has a way of embarrassing us when we need it the most. It has a brain of its own. So thank you so much. Now, when we were speaking last time, you were in Cape Town, South Africa for a conference. Are you back in Kenya? Yes, finally, I came back home, pushed everything until next year. This year, I decided to be home enjoy home food, home cooked meals, just just live in the moment. Yes, right now I'm in Kenya. Can you share what an example of a really good home cooked Kenyan meal is? There is this meal called um, ugali and the kumawiki eggs. It's like um, a corn meal that has kales, collard greens, and um, some bit of spinach inside. And then you have a side where it's made with like scrambled eggs. But now the scrambled eggs has onions, some tomatoes, some spices inside it, if you are into spices. When you're used to like traveling around all that and you're like, yeah, because, you know, I'm a vegetarian and I can get what I have in vegetarian diets outside. But when it comes to like a proper meal of ugali and sukuma wiki with eggs, nothing matches that. It sounds very savory, very flavorful. You're a vegetarian. I'm I'm vegan, but you definitely piqued my curiosity with all the ingredients in there. Spicy food is like a love language because, I mean, plain food, is, it's okay, but it's plain, right? I'm the kind of person who I could be having a Greek salad and just adding a little bit of spice on top of it just to like, you know, get a richer flavor. So, yeah, I, I am a spicy food kind of person. You can taste the food, you can taste the spice, the mixture of two in one. Yeah. Mm, I like that. I like that. You are back in Kenya. And I know a few days ago you were said you were kind of going in and out of meetings and things like that. 
what has your week been like? After I came back from Cape Town, I don't think I have done any work. My brain went into holiday mood. I've been on dates with my internet crush. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to make things work, man. We have to wear matching pajamas in 2024. So <laughs> yeah, I've just been trying to catch up on my books, trying to catch up with friends. I mean, yesterday I was at brunch with a work colleague, I think in July or August, when this is the last time I saw her. So I was like, okay, let me just catch up with her. Work can wait. I need to also have a life of my own. So I've been doing a lot of that. And besides, at this point, also my workload kind of reduced because the guys I was having at the shelter managed to transition into their own houses. They got employment. So now they can able to take care of themselves. Yeah. I felt that uh, way that you're soothing yourself, healing yourself and a great example to uh, follow for myself. <laughs> yeah, take a chill pill. Okay, this is the last episode, that's it. Then go out, go on a trip, go to a place you've never been to, go dance where you've never danced. This year also, I managed to dance in public for the first time since 2018. It's been quite a while since I've been dancing myself. <laughs> you mentioned Cape Town, and I know, like I mentioned earlier, that you were there for a conference. You were there for the African Union's third men's conference on positive masculinity, which I believe took place in Johannesburg. Can you share with us what that conference was about? It's targeting about how best we can be able to support the adolescent girls and young women and ending gender-based violence towards them. So it's bringing on um, African leaders to champion for there's a document that's being formulated that has to address how men can be able to be incorporated into positive behavioral change, that they can be able to effect that onto the adolescent girls and young women in their lives. We're talking about treating women right with respect, you know, bringing women together to champion as well for positive masculinity majorly that was the topic or the theme of the conference challenging men towards being better and doing better so we're talking about equity we're talking about quality payroll when it comes to interacting and being with um the adolescent girls and young women how we live with them so majorly the conference was about formulating the document that has been in the works for the past three years Having men also champion for this and push this agenda forward is what we were looking for and into creating this docket that's going to incorporate the positive behavioral change that has to see men become and do better. And participants were from all of the countries on the continent of Africa? Most African countries, we had African leaders, we had ministers, we had presidents, we had former presidents, we had first ladies. Elaine Johnson, we had, you know, Cyril, President Cyril Ramaphosa, we had His Excellency Azalea Sumani of the Republic of Comoros, we had the former President, uh, First Lady of Madagascar in the room. I can't remember the, all the names or all the designations, but there were so many heads of African states represented in the conference and some were joining in virtually. It was really, really beautiful to, to be able to see that happening, having nearly all African states represented in the room. Was this your first time being invited to the conference? I had never been to the African conference. This was my first, and it was a really, really huge honor that I managed to be in the room and hearing this um, conversations happening. I was really scared. I'm not going to lie. I was really, really scared because this is a new, new ground. 
And I was like, okay, maybe, you know, get somebody else to do it. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I managed to like brave through it and looking forward to the next one. The fact that you were invited, there's somebody who's watching you and, and seeing the work that you do and, and the advocacy that you're doing for different communities. So, yeah, definitely sounds like you deserve to be there. <laughs> As a queer man, you know, because talking about women and misogyny, I I think it's a good thing to to bring up because I'll say my perception and my awareness of us as queer men is we are still men and we have to look at the ways in which we can make the world a better place for the women in our lives and the women around us. Also have to champion and fight for the rights of trans women for the rights of lesbians as well because these are opportunities that they're going to miss or going to be facing discrimination or stigma in a certain aspect of their lives could be all aspects of their life i have two hearts who am championing for the rights of people living with hiv and championing for the rights of the queer community so if i have to champion as well for the rights of adolescent girls and young women we do have adolescent girls and young women who are living with hiv and we have adolescent girls and young women who are in the queer community space always continuing to make sure that everyone has a voice and everyone is heard and everyone has a place in society. You have a voice that you can talk and say, these are my opinions and your opinions are not just words. Your opinions also put into consideration and action is taken towards. It's just a matter of honoring human dignity. Which includes our own, you know, LGBT organizations. I'm here in the UK for a little bit of time. And I was recently at a screening of a documentary that came out in 1995 called Black Nations, Queer Nations. Anyway, there was a QA and a afterwards, and I'd heard it before, but what came up was within our own LGBT organizations, how queer men in particular, we have to look at the ways that we intentionally or unintentionally silence the women, you know, be they lesbians or trans women within our organizations. So to your point, making sure that they have the voices on the same level that we do, not just within our organizations, but publicly too. I'm totally up with that. For yourself as a queer man, how was it for you being at the conference and and representing yourself and maybe in some ways the community at large? That was really beautiful. It felt as such an honor, you know, as much as I had that my imposter syndrome was like, maybe I don't belong because maybe the work that I do doesn't qualify to have me in the room. If we have to talk about human rights, you don't see me as a gay man. You see me as a human being. Having to be in such a room and speaking to such leaders and hearing what other leaders have to say means that we're a step in the right direction. Right now, inclusivity is not just about words. It's about action as well. They chose me, a gay man who's living with HIV. So that honor to be able to stand out of the crowd and be in that room and share opinions and views and listen and receive feedback, that is an honor where people say it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. That was my once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It's a win for the community, for myself. Well, I very much look forward to seeing how you progress with having this honor of being invited to this type of conference? I think one of the things that it has impacted me in a very beautiful way is that um, next year I get to go back to school doing international relations. International relations just came into my head and I was like, okay, maybe this is something I want to do, but I wasn't sure about it. 
But now when I went to the conference and, you know, the conference itself was held at the Department of International Relations, at other words, I can't remember, but I knew that I wanted to do international relations because that would be able to also put me in a position where I can actively advocate for change that, you know, can last locally here in Kenya, where I can be able to say, I created a change that has seen the lives of all queer folk in Kenya, that they are represented and that their rights are actually fulfilled and they are upheld. So by me doing that, I think it also has to go back with the second, the previous question about what it meant. And it ignited a spark inside me that I need to be in rooms like this where I can be able to challenge and create that change that we need to see will be felt by not only me, but generations that are coming way after I'll be gone. What I hear is, is a visionary compassion. Where do you think that comes from? I would have to say it's the things I have managed to go through, being kicked out of home at 23, testing positive for HIV at 23, not getting the right services, not getting the right treatment, being home for the holidays with family, not being able to be my true self in social gatherings, not able to interact with people on a one-to-one basis. So many people, their lives have been destroyed and mine is just a fraction of what so many other people have gone through. Some have lost their lives in the process. I have been through it, man, <laughs> for the past four years. I have seen the dark side of what being a gay man in a homophobic country looks like. I have to be afraid that I might not make it home at the end of the day. I have to be with the fact that I'm not going to speak to some relatives just because they knew my sexuality and they're not okay with it. I have to deal with the fact that not all social gatherings are going to be welcoming and open. I can't go to clubs without a certain support system around me where I'm sure that if something happened, I am protected. There are places I just can't be able to walk even in town without thinking like someone might recognize me from social media and say or do something that might have me end up in hospital or worse, right? I want to create that community for my people who are coming after me. It's a cycle and we need to break such cycles. You mentioned going back to school. What is your educational background? I graduated with a course on film production. I used to love film so much growing up. I still do. I did so much theater. I did a couple of films. Never done a feature film that did short films. I did film production in Compass. You are an HIV champion. You gave a really candid interview similar to this conversation today, a few weeks ago, um, with KUTV's Eliud Mutwiri, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, about being HIV positive. When did you first decide to share your experiences on a public platform? It happened really gradually. Before I started thinking about coming out, I had um, one of the regional meetings that was happening here in Kenya, hosted by White Plus Global and Love Alliance. And I got to hear stories from people from different African states, having to share their experiences, share their best practices. It put me in a position where now I wanted to also do that. 
And I met one of my really good friends who I didn't know was going to be my friend at the time. Her name is called Doreen Moramoracha, also a HIV advocate, but for her, she was born with HIV. So she's been doing this for a really, really long time. I tried to look for that gay man who's living with HIV, who's creating positive content, and I couldn't be able to find one. I'm like, yeah, we need to put a face to this as well, because if he's doing this for the general community, we needed to have one for the gay community. Yes, people like this are going through it and they can be able to manage and conquer it. So she suggested I start a YouTube channel, but I was like, yeah, I do not love being in front of the camera. Put me behind the camera any day. So she's like, okay, then if that's a problem, then try a podcast. In my head, I was like, a podcast page acts like a YouTube page where guys just leave their comments, they leave their likes and whatnot. Like, I'm not seeing any likes, I'm not seeing any comments. So guys are probably not interacting with it. And so I stopped doing the podcast for a while. My first episode was my story about me living with HIV, coming out, the struggles I've been through, and then finally acceptance. And then so I stopped doing the podcast for a while until one day I got a message from someone from the Philippines. And they were like, um, thank you so much for sharing your story because I was on the brink of committing suicide. I could not be able to go through with it. And so I asked Doreen how I can be able to check what's happening. I had no idea whatsoever. So she said, you can be able to check the analytics. I'm like, how do you do that? And so she said, um, this and this, go here, click this, do that. And on checking the analytics, a podcast was listened to in like over 40 countries. I checked YouTube about how to do this, how to do that. And so when I started even posting my content, I started now like having a photo of myself and then the caption would have to be something in regards to HIV. Guys were literally starting to pinpoint, oh, there's a gay man who's living with HIV. I had conversations with my folks and I told them like, yes, I need to do this because we don't have representation for gay people living with HIV. It was not motivating content. And I tried to look at that from the perspective of a person who is yet to accept the status and they're struggling with it. And then they come across such content, how would they feel? So I started creating positive content based on HIV. And that's how I started my TikTok page as well. Because the, one of the main stigmas that I was facing at the time when having conversations with people was people who were not taking their medication. So by me taking my every medications publicly, I am challenging that person who's in their own house, in the comfort of their own home, without the eyes of the public around them to take their medication to be better so that HIV transmission doesn't continue. So that is when I started creating more positive related content in regards to HIV so that I can be able to challenge society, challenge stigma, challenge, you know, drug adherence and make sure that people are enrolled back into care, continue with the support. If someone has a question on this, before I answer you, I'll have to ask you, what have you done on your own? And if you have not found a conducive answer, then I can help you out. So I'm also putting people in a position where they can be able to look for this information on their own. And then we come together, compare notes, and then come up with one definitive answer. And if the question or the whatever it is, is challenging, I refer them to a doctor because at the end of the day, I keep on telling people, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> I don't have that medical degree. 
Yeah, I refer them back to the doctor and make sure that the content I create is positive and using my social media page as a safe space for people to come and share their opinions, share their encouragements, ask their questions, debate on their questions and learn as they're doing at the same time. So TikTok at the end of the day has become a really, really huge PowerPoint in my life to be able to create positive content for HIV communities. I've seen your TikTok and definitely seen how you're, you know, sharing your life experiences, but you're encouraging people to have joy. And it's interesting you sharing. Thank you for sharing that, sharing about visionaries like yourself initially don't want to be public. It's like, I'm okay with, you know, helping in the background and, and people encouraging you say, no, it's you, it's your story that we want to hear because you're the, the person that's inspiring us to, to be our best selves. So it's interesting to hear that evolution. Sometimes the places where I am creating this content with are not safe places. I have to think about the end user, my audience who's watching, right? I have to think about them, their concerns. And I have to say like, I'm doing this for you because at the end of the day, I want you to become better. HIV doesn't stop you from accomplishing your goals. Well, I'll ask you again at the end of our conversation, but just quickly, what is your TikTok handle? My TikTok handle is Ruel Okeo. That is I-U-E-L-E-O-K-E-Y-O. Ruel Okeo on all social media handles. But now on Twitter, it's the other way around. It's at Okeo Ruel. Sorry, I guess my allergies are kicking in. Your director of Kenneth and Jacob's House, can you share about that organization? I was not prepared to do that, right? One time, one of the board chairs at Kenneth and Jacobs approached me. We were really good friends at the time. And they were like, I need you to come and help me out with some work. Okay, sure, let's go. So we go, we take a really, really long drive. Like we left the citizens and just kept on going. Like, where are you taking me? You know, this is how people die in movies, right? (laughs) You just relax. (laughs) We keep on going. We keep on going. I'm like, bruh, you better not be doing any blood rituals on me because I I wouldn't give you any money. I broke as fuck at that time. So we get to a place, a really beautiful house, and they are like, I want you to help me manage this house. It's a shelter. It's for homeless and for youth. And... I need you to be part of the team that helps and runs and organizes and manages everything that has to do with everyone who's coming into this house because they faced violence, discrimination, they've been kicked out of home or they've run away from home. I'm like, ah, I think you need someone who's qualified to do this because I have no papers, I have no experience, I have nothing in regards to managing shelter. More so a safe space for queer youth in a country that's homophobic. I have no experience about doing that. And they were like, um, it's okay. I will train you. I will show you what to do, what to say, how to send those emails when they come. I started off as a programs head, programs officer. And so we started taking cases and referrals. Slowly by slowly, you know, started doing the media advocacy here and there you know, just trying to get the name of Kenneth and Jacob's house out. I think after like two years, as 2021, 2022, 
Now the director left. And so since there was no one else to take up that position, the board chair was like, uh, yeah, now this is your time to shine. Now you're going to become the director. Like, what do you mean? That's a whole ass responsibility I am not ready for. I was so worried and I was so concerned and I was so afraid about this plan that my life was taking. I mean, two years, I was just learning the nitty gritties of being a program officer. Now you want me to become the director of the organization? Nah, this is too much. And so I ran away from the responsibility. But at the end of the day, I came back to my senses and asked myself, why did you choose to even take up that role of the program's officer? And remember my past four years where, you know, they were really, really bad and really terrible. And I was homeless myself. And I was like, yeah, this is what these people need. They need to be in a position where they can be able to feel safe and they need to be loved, be in a position where they can grow and heal. And so I took up the role of the director because I remembered where I came from. We offer psychosocial support. They were talking about healing. We're talking about, you know, books. We're talking about art. But this also sometimes it's not that consistent. The only thing that's consistent is the psychosocial support. Other things that are relating, sometimes they become really challenging because they're not heavily funded. And that's what we need because shelters are not funded completely. So it has to rely on the community members and on the, you know, well wishes, private investors, private donors. So majorly we do focus on psychosocial support. We focus on safety and protection because oftentimes the people who are coming to us have faced violence in one way or the other. So we need to make sure that they feel safe and protected immediately they walk inside those gates trying to make sure that you feel that you belong and you're wanted because you know ours is just it's a transition shelter because at the end of the day we don't want to create dependency so for that short duration of period that you're with us and i think it's always like two months we have to make sure that we do so much to ensure that by the time you walk out of those gates you're actually in a better position to take care of yourself and even those around you did the person share with you why you were chosen? Because that's an interesting part of the story, because you said you didn't feel you were up for the task, but they saw something. I think it's favor or grace. I have no idea. And anytime I ask, I always get the same answer. It's because you can do it. Based on what you shared, it sounds like you're a hard worker. You are willing to learn. I like that you're honest about the fear because that's something that I think is important to share because I can relate a lot to your story with doing things that seem scary. It's okay to admit that I'm afraid, petrified, whatever the word I need to use in the moment, ask for help. <laughs> that's another challenge I know for myself that can come up as, oh, I have to pretend like I know it all. It's like, no, I will learn if I say, you know what, I have no idea what this is. Can you help me? You know, I've, I've listened to a few episodes of your podcast, Sex Ed by Relations. And what I like, of course, you're, you're candid about, you know, uh, being HIV positive, but you're also candid about just sexuality and, and body image and all those things that I'll say myself as a queer man. I could see you out and about and say, I could never be like him. But the podcast and what you share in it reminds me like, oh, we're all going through this process. How has it been for you sharing different aspects of 
your personal life. It's been really heavy. I'm not going to lie. Am I ready to say these things? Am I ready to let people in? But it's because I didn't see people like me who are gay, who are living with HIV. So part of the reason of also sharing my story is because I wanted someone who is in my position or in my situation that they can relate, that they are not alone. Because I remember when I tested positive, that was a really, really dark time. I felt this way because I didn't see anyone who I could send a message to and say, I need your help. I need to know how did you do this? I had to learn how my medication works. I had to learn maneuvering being a gay person. I had to learn to put it out there so that when someone else can see it, they can see I can go to them. They can be able to help me. So that is majorly why I put it out there. Was I struggling at the time? Yes, I was. Did I know what I was doing? Absolutely not. Is it necessary? It was very, very necessary because there were no role models. And if that meant me putting a little bit of my personal life on social media, then so be it. I need to, you know, also take time off for myself, restructure and put myself together, go through this thing so that when I start doing this again, I'm in a better position. It is important to share who I am, but to make sure that I'm doing it from a space that I'm okay too. So thank you for that example. The work that goes into this, as you know, for me, it is a labor of love, but it is work. With social media, with creating these platforms that you've done, you can get caught up or me get caught up in, you know, looking for the likes. But I have to go back to why am I doing this? The success comes from not getting X amount of lights for whatever post that I do. It comes from what you shared. This person from the Philippines reaches out and says, thank you so much for putting yourself out there because it gave me permission to do the same for myself. That's invaluable. Yeah, it really, really is. My TikTok just blew up overnight. And most people don't know this. I have deleted so many comments. I have deleted so many comments where people come being very, very vulgar. I miss some of them because some of my videos have like 3,000, 4,000 comments. But if you have to look through the comment section, you see all the positive messages that are there. But those that people don't get to see are in the private messages where people have to ask about please direct me to a health facility so that I can start my medication. Those are the people that I am working for. And you will not see that in the likes or in the comment section. That's all the fulfillment that one needs. When you're not looking for ways to enlighten, to heal, to inspire, how do you balance out like taking time for yourself to relax or to enjoy certain things? It starts at 7 p.m. I don't take any phone calls past 7 p.m. If it can wait until tomorrow, let it wait until tomorrow. I really love reading books. I like recommend for me some of the books you love to read and I will go and get them. I love going to the cinema, have a nice meal in a nice restaurant and then come back home. So that's how I chill. Trying to build relationships, damn, that's, 
that's the Hunger Games. It's really hard. So, <laughs> it's the Hunger Games. You know, so I don't try that. So I just literally focus on reading my books, trying to stay in shape, catch up with colleagues and friends. Well, right now I do have my internet crush and that's going beautifully so far. So thank yeah. you so much for joining me today. I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. We already established, but if you could just say once more where we can follow you on social media. My social medias remain the same. That is Ruel Okeo, R-U-E-L-E-O-K-E-Y-O on all social media platforms except Twitter or X. Wait, it's now Okeo Ruel. So just switch them up. Definitely look forward to sharing your story. Thank you for spending time with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, comment, and subscribe. Share with your friends too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Our Black Gay Diaspora and on Twitter at BLK Gay Diaspora. Until next time.